All right, guys, we're going to be in one section of a small passage of Scripture tonight, Great White Throne Judgment. And I could, there wasn't enough time to go into the next chapter. This is kind of the finality of this judgment series. We had the millennium, then we had, we had a, another, another war, and last week we had Satan judged and finally cast eternally where he's going to be. He's, he's, he's out of this world. He's out of the picture. And so we're coming in to the next phase of this, of which is in, is in essence a judgment. Now, regardless, we, we've been talking through this. We haven't focused very much on any particular interpretation, we've tried to stay with the fact that God cares for His people, keeps His promises, and He will work His plan in this world. And that's what we've been looking at at Revelation. What is the theological principle all the way through here? That God has a plan, and that that plan is going to be fulfilled in the end. And that the believers will be blessed by that, and the non-believers are, are going to suffer for that for eternity. So that's kind of the, where we've been going with this as we're, as we're looking at Revelation. And so we're coming down to the end also where there's not a lot to debate as far as is, do you believe this is this or this is that. There is a, if you are a believer, regardless of if, whatever millennial view or whatever you are, if you are a believer, then you understand that you're going to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And you also understand that those lost are going to spend an eternity separated from God in hell. So you believe in a judgment of some type, regardless of where you are. You may not know exactly where it is. You may not agree exactly with this passage. But at some point in time, as the Scripture says, they separate the sheep from the goats. So we believe in a judgment. So the fact tonight that we are studying a judgment by God on people, on the people of this world, is not an issue, and we might we might waver on the particulars, what we think happened here, didn't happen there, or exactly what's going on. But there's not a whole lot of debate about that among the theological world, unless you're of a one view that's, that's preterist. And I'm not going to get into that much because I'm not really skilled enough to to tell you everything about it. Except they take Matthew 24 and 25, which is the Olive Discourse, and they take Jesus' words there as literal, and they say all this happened in 70 A.D. So Revelation to them is it's just it's just past it's past history. But but so that would be the only difference you'd have. But looking at this tonight, and from what we're going to look at tonight in this short passage in chapter chapter 20, closing out, there's going to be a judgment. That's absolute. It won't. When the time comes, it won't be debated. There won't be any excuses. There won't be any escape from it. There's not a grace period. There's not a second chance. It won't be open for discussion. Now there'll probably be some lost Baptists there trying to put a motion on the floor, but it's 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 not open for discussion. When God gets to this point, it's a done deal. You either know Christ or you don't know Christ. Now. There's two views of this passage tonight. Some say this passage is just for the lost only. Some kind of see it as he's judging both sides because he talks about two books in here. I don't really care which way you go. I, I think in the end it doesn't really matter because Jesus is going to take all his people with him to heaven and all those that are not are going to be spending eternity in hell. So exactly where you fall out on that, it does, I don't think it makes that big a difference. Now, 
I want to kind of look at this just a minute, and I want to kind of set this up for us, because this judgment, this thing about judgment, it's biblical. It's all the way through Scripture. I'm going to start in Daniel, if it's all right with you guys. And I want to kind of set a little bit of a stage for what we're going to talk about. Daniel chapter 7. And, of course, Daniel is the book we study in, in connection with Revelation, Daniel's prophecy, Daniel's visions. And, uh, and it's often tied directly to what we see in Revelation. But in, in Daniel chapter 7, in verse 9, we find these words. And he said, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. And you see that picture. We've seen that all through Revelation. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze, and a river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn. The horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire, and the other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days, of course we're talking about God there, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Beautiful painted picture there of what's to come in Daniel. And then just turn right over in chapter 12 of Daniel when he's talking about end times again here. Just a few verses I want to, I want to share with you. At that time, Michael, in 12, uh, Daniel 12, verse 1, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go there and to increase in knowledge. So you see this picture of a judgment in Daniel in Old Testament. Now, if you go to New Testament, as I said a minute ago in Matthew 24 and 25, that's known as the Olivet Discourse. That's when he asked the disciples, the disciples asked him, said, Jesus, tell us about the end times, the last days. And he spent these two chapters talking about it. And this passage that starts in 25 and verse 31, it's the passage about the sheep and the goats. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to touch on just a few of the verses because it's so poignant when it tells us, you know, what to expect and what's coming. And starting in verse 31, he said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in the heavenly glory. And the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Now, you remember he went down through there and he talked about, and you fed me when I was hungry and you clothed me, and he goes through all these things, and he, and he, and he tells them they'll be blessed with him. And then he looks at the ones on the left, and he says, you depart because you didn't. And he explains to them the same reason because, you know, and they said, well, when did we not do it? And he said, when well, you didn't do it for the least one. So, again, you see this judgment in this passage without reading all of it. And down towards the bottom of that passage, 
In verse 41, he said, Then he'll say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who were cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And again, you see that people today, we don't like to talk about this suffering place called hell, but it's, it's in every page of Scripture when you turn it. Now, I'm not a doom and gloomer. I don't think we ought to get up here every Sunday and go turn before you burn, you know, and, and drive people crazy. But we shouldn't be afraid to say there is eternal judgment coming. And because so many people are casual about that end. Well, you know, I've heard guys, well, you know, it, it, hell, it, that's okay. I just what I choose. I don't think they understand the ramifications of what they're talking about. So it ought to drive us. And then down in verse 46, right there, right below that. Then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So we know there's going to be a judgment. It's biblical. I mean, it's, it's in God's scripture. He's talked about it from day one. It's not something we should be surprised about. And then the next thing we looked at, we're going to look at, is everybody's going to be judged. And, and that's something sometimes we may be a little bit of a, of, of kind of lost on, but just look at some passages. Corinthians, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, five ten. Just, just to kind of give us some, give us some idea of of what we're thinking about here. Second Corinthians five ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I'm assuming he's talking about all of us. I mean, believers are still, I think, going to stand before him, and he's going to say, you have accepted Jesus, and that's good. But I think he's going to show us everything he had for us, and if we're short, it's going to be, you know, we're going to realize that. I I shared with you one time, I heard Billy Graham was asked a question one time by a commentator, do you think you're going to be, at the front of the line in heaven because of what you've done. He said, absolutely not. I'm going to be judged for what I was called to do based on what I actually did. And they said, what is your greatest fear? He said, that I'll look my Lord in the face someday and he'll say, Billy, you didn't let me do everything I wanted to do with you. He said, that's my greatest fear. And so that's the attitude we look at life with. We're going to be judged according to what God laid out for us, not, not according to mine versus Jones. And so that's one of the things that we think about when we try to do that. A couple of passages in Romans 14, just Romans 2 and 5, just very quickly. But because your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. And over in Romans 14, just very quickly, same thing. For none of us lives lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. Uh, that's Romans 14, verse 7. If we live, we live to God, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us, will give an account of, of himself to God. It gets real when you start thinking about there's coming a time when we're going to have to look him in the face and account. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that it's something we should be afraid of, but I think it's something that should encourage us and drive us each day to realize as we're looking at this passage, particularly what he wants from us. 
And then the other thing that we're going to look at, Jesus is going to be the judge in this. And just a couple of quick verses, and then we're going to dig into the, to the passage that I've got this for us to look at today. John 5, verse 19. He said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will even show him greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but he entrusted all judgment to the Son. And when we start looking at this passage, and one more in Acts, real quick, and then to look in just, and, and again, in Acts 10 and 42, he said, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. Jesus Christ is our judge. There's no mistaking about it. When we come to that time, and Almighty God has given Him the authority and the power to be the judge, He will be the one on that throne. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 4 says this. He said, he's talking about God. He said, His work is perfect, for all His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. That is who is going to judge us. That is who is going to judge this world. And as you've seen, they've already been judging it as we go through this passage. So, all right, we're looking at this passage in Revelation. Now, it's very short. Following what happened to Satan last week, and it's, it's in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, just some short verses with a ton of stuff in them and, and a ton of things to grasp and, and try to hold on to and try to understand. And I'm going to just read through it, and then we're going to come back and just walk through it and, and look at four quick points and, and try, to, try to come away with this, a better understanding of, of what's going on here. And what I want to do in this is, is walk away from this and say, what do I come away from this with? Not just a historical lesson about Revelation. What can I walk out of here tonight with that makes a difference for me out of this passage? Then I saw a great white throne, and him who seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books, we'll just do that in a minute. And the books were open, and another book was open, which was the book of the life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire was the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, you know, we talked about that last week when, we were, when Satan was thrown into that lake of fire, that, that eternal lake of fire. So what we're going to look at here tonight, very quickly... There's four things in this passage. There is a scene. There is a summons that he gives. There's a standard by which people are judged. And there's a sentence passed on that judgment. And, and it's kind of interesting when you start breaking this down because you read through this and there's a lot of things in here you don't see. Verse 11. We're going to look at the first part of just a scene just in two verses, 11 through 12a. Then I saw a great white throne... And he who was seated on it. Now, we, we've seen throne all through the Scripture and all through Revelation. But all at once we have a great white throne. What's the implication there? Purity, majesty, mighty. It, it's God. That's what we're seeing here. He, all at once he said, I... And the other thing you watch, I told you 
that, that my view of Revelation, it was chronologically progressive, and I thought, you know, that we were, I, I'm kind of premillennial. If you see this, when he finished up last week, talking about Satan was tormented day and night, and then when he went to verse 11, he said, Then I saw. So you see that progression. You see him saying, This is the next thing I saw. And he said, A great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence. What in the world would we make of that? that? He's talking about creation, and it fled from his presence. Now, we know in Colossians 1.15, talks about the supremacy of Christ. It says this, He was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by all things, every, were, things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Jesus created. And then we look at this, and he says it fled away. And the writer said in this, it's an uncreation of the universe. If you, if you think about what's going on here. Second Peter says this, Second Peter 3, verse 8. He said, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends. When the Lord, with the Lord, his days are like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understood slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. And then we're going to, I'm going to come back and read the last part of that verse later. It's the... When, when Christ comes on the scene, final judgment, time, even, the element, even the physical earth and the heavens cannot stay in his presence. When the writer was talking about an uncreation. Donald Barnhouse put it this way. He said, there is to be an end to the material heavens and earth, which we know. It is not that they are to be purified and rehabilitated, but the reverse of creation is to take place. They are to be uncreated. As they came from nothing at the word of God, they are sucked back into nothing. Is that that same word? And you think about that one. You know, environmental and everything we do, but at the end day, even the earth and the sky that God created, it's, it's going to banish from him because the judgment is coming on him for evil. And, and you don't think about that when you look at that passage and, and, and the power of that. It can't even, his own creation can't even stand in front of him, and yet he has man standing in front of him who he's going to judge. That's going to be a much more powerful day than I think in most, even for the saved, I think it's going to be a moment. And, and, and whether or not these are believers and non-believers together in this passage, I don't know. There's, you can make, both cases, I don't think it matters because we all get judged one way or the other. And, and I think that's the important thing to look at here. He said, the earth and the sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And he said, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. What does he mean by great and small dead? What would somebody say? If nobody escapes. You don't hide. There's no place to go. It doesn't matter what your status is, what you have, don't have, did, didn't do. It doesn't make any difference. What's the only thing that matters? Jesus. That's what we've come down to. We're closing out the age. God is setting the stage right. It's Jesus. You know him or you don't know him. And there's nothing else that matters in this, in, in this passage when you look at it. So that's the scene we're looking at, the scene that is set for what's about to take place. 
And then look the summons. What's happening here? Verse, I'm going to skip down to verse 13, the first part of verse 13. And he said, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. He uses the word sea. What's relevant about sea there? I mean, if he said, he should, you know, you think if he gathered all the dead, but why does he go to the trouble to say the sea gave up? And it was the one place you could never rediscover a body or something. You know, if somebody died at sea, they're gone. And, and so he just, I think he's using that to just say there's nowhere, there's, there's nowhere that God won't call somebody back from. He said the sea gave him up. The dead gave him up. That's, that's graves on earth. And then Hades. Now, now, when we start looking at Hades, Hades is the realm of the dead. It's Sheol. And, you know, it's Sheol 67 times in the Old Testament. We see that word. It's where they sent people for temporary punishment and torment until the end times come. Ten times in the New Testament we see it Hades. You know, and, and we have a good picture of that in Luke 16, 23, right now, you know, Lazarus and the rich man. And what happens in that? It says, the rich man in hell where he's in torment. So, so you get a picture of the fact that, yes, there is a place that you go as soon as you die. Because he said, Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, if I'm, if I'm recalling the scripture right. And the rich man went to hell. And he saw that, and he, was, he said, went to hell where he was in torment, and he asked to put his finger in water. So there is a place, even now, where holding pattern, whatever you want to go, I'm not going to get into that, but, but it's, we're not in a restful sleep somewhere. There is, there is a judgment immediately for those that don't know Christ. It's not the final judgment. And so we have that summons that he called everybody out. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave them. Nobody escapes. If you're looking at this for the lost, nobody gets left behind. Everybody, everybody is going to face him. Everybody's going to see that day coming. And it's complete, and that's the only way it would be fair. And we'll look in just a minute about the books here and kind of and kind of talk a little bit about where some of the, uh, some of the different uh, attitudes about what may or may not be here about being lost and saved together. All right, and the third thing we're going to look at is, is the, the standard of the judgment. What, what, what is the standard? What is, what is God presenting here as his basis for saying, you go here, you go here? Or what if it's all the lost for him to look at each lost person and say, I never knew you depart, spend eternity in hell in the lake of burning fire. Look at this passage. Look at, back here in 12b. And the books were, now it says books were open. So this kind of gets where it gets a little fuzzy. If you, want to, if you want to debate whether everybody's there or just the lost. And he said another book was opened, which was the book of life. Okay, that's where all the believers' names are secured. And he said the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, if you just read that passage, it looks like it's all dead, you know. But is, it, dead could be talking about lost. So it's, you can really get into a, a theological argument there. But basically... The principle coming out of here is, if you know Christ, then you're secure in God. Even though, listen, there's, you know, there's, there's degrees of punishment in hell, in, in hell and, and degrees of, of reward in heaven. So all of us are going to go through that accountability process. I mean, we're all going to be saved. It's like, you know, we're all in an ice cream shop together. Just some of us are going to get more than others, depending on what we, what we invested in it. But when you're looking at this, now, now here's the problem with that passage, Joe. When, he, when he's talking about saved and lost. In Matthew 5, 48, it says, Therefore you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Well, there's a problem with that. Romans 3.23 says we've all missed the mark. So, so how, do we, how, how do we come up to the mark here? And, and, and the fact is that it's only by Christ's righteousness on us. We have no righteousness of our own. Jesus puts his on us when we accept him as Savior. So that's the only thing we've got to walk into this with, but that's what we're judged on. When, when it comes to that time, we're his. And, 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 and if the devil, you know, he's always said, if the devil accuses, Jesus says, no, that one's mine. And so, and so we're safe in that. And, and, try, and the determining factor here again is Jesus Christ. In other words, it's funny that we live in a world today where everything seems to be important except the thing that should be important. And, you know, you can go to churches, you can turn on TV, you can get a multitude of messages, but find one that really says, if you don't know him personally, the rest of it is waste. You just don't find it anymore. And, and there has to be a, a gentle, loving, kind way to do that with it. We don't turn people off. But when it gets to here, it don't matter. If it gets to here, that's the problem. When it gets here, it's too late. And, 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 and that's the thing, one of the things I think that ought to convict us. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit more in just a minute. But, uh, and, and he's talking about degrees in punishment. And we'll read the rest of Hebrews 10, 29 in a minute. But in that passage, it says... How much more severely should you be punished? So th there's degrees of, of punishment in that. And, and some will be worse than others. Now, nowhere in hell is going to be good. Don't get that mistake. I mean, it's all going to be awful. But uh, because it's going to be separated from God, it's darkness. And then we'll talk about two or three things. So we're looking then, and then what's the sentence on these people? I mean, this is the judgment. God's called them out of the ocean. He's called them out of the grave. He's called them out of the temporary hell. He's called everybody in. And he said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I think, you know, and, and these people are going to come for him already experiencing hell for a while. And naturally they're going to go because they're going to be humble. But it's too late. And that's the sad part about it because, you know, he said, some of them asked him, said, Lord, when, when did we not do that? And he said, you know, you didn't do it for the neighbor. You didn't do it for the homeless person. You didn't do it for this one. You didn't do it for me. And it's a shame that they're going to learn that lesson too late. Verses 14 and 15, before I run out of a voice talk with here. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, when we get into this picture again of fire. Now, death, when he's talking about death here, he's talking about the grave. Death and Hades were thrown into the fire. In other words, the temporary hell, it's not needed anymore. Death is, death is not needed anymore. All's left is the people that was Christ. We live for eternity. So death is defeated at this point and thrown in there. And then the lake of fire. Now, we, if you remember from our study before, the, the word they used for that is Gehenna. And that's a, that was the valley of Ben-Hanan right outside of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament times, the Israelites sacrificed children in that valley. They burned them. In New Testament, Jerusalem is a garbage dump. I mean, for everything from animals to, to criminals' bodies, fire, constant just stench and corruption. And it, it kind of, he plays off of that saying, this foul, awful place. And that's not even going to hold a light to what hell is, is like when he, when he gets there someday. And he's talking about, you know, the smoke and the bodies there. Now, one thing that the passage says here, he says fire could be symbolic here, but yet you see this torment. So 
you know, we can't say they're going to be sitting in a fire because we don't know exactly. But we know there's going to be something, an uncomfortability that, that relates to, to being burned or something. So it's, it's not a big issue when you look at hell is also dark. That You can find that in Matthew 8, 2. It says we're a place where the worm never dies. One commentator said, I think that's a conscience where the mind never quits knowing and never quits understanding that I'm separated for eternity because of the choice I made. Fire never goes out. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. You find that in Matthew 8, too. That is not a place I want to be any part of. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere close to it. But so that's what we see in that passage, just a simply... Uh, a passage of, of judging the dead, great white throne judgment. Most commentators will tell you or follow through the process that this is a judgment of the dead who died without Christ. You know, I think we saw last week in the minimum, they left them in the grave. Now it's time to bring them out. They don't get off without facing God. I think that's, that's the critical thing here. They're going to face him. They're going to know who he was. They're going to know they had a choice. They're going to know he loved them. They're going to know he could have saved them and wanted to save them. And they're going to know because they didn't choose him. That Because he's just. And I think it breaks his heart. But at the same time, he's just. And he's setting things right for all those that did trust him. And he will follow through on that as hard as it will be. And, and when we look at Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. Let me just a couple of passages here I want to read and kind of some closing thoughts here with this just in a minute to find Hebrews. I used to know where it was, really. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That ought to get somebody's attention. And, you know, in thinking about this today, what do we walk away from here with? I think the first thing for us as believers, we ought to be in a constant state of rejoicing and praise that we've escaped that. We escaped it because of what Christ did on Calvary. We had no hope without that. And he's allowed us to come into his family to share that eternity forever. That's the first thing. I think the second thing, in order to convict us and condemn us that so many around us are going to face this. And that for me personally, I don't do near enough to try and change that. That's, that's my thought. I'm not saying that for you. But it ought to drive us to say, man, if that's what's going to happen to those, and some people would choose this and there's nothing you can do about it. But there's a lot of folks that just need somebody to love on them and share it with them and talk to them and give them an opportunity. And, and my dad was a good example of that. He was hardcore for 30 years, but but I had a preacher that, that loved him, and they got to be good friends. They didn't talk church. They talked about growing potatoes and stuff when he came out there. But in the end, my dad got saved. And he got saved because he liked him, he trusted him, he invested time in him, and he simply let God do the work, and he simply gave it an opportunity. 
that's one of the things that I take away from here as well. I think the other thing is, I think it challenges us to be ready at every moment for him to come back. If we really think about, if he comes back 10 minutes from now, are you like you want to meet him or would you like to straighten some things out first? And, and, and I think the key to this passage, if I'm trying to live every moment like he may come back before I get to the back of this room, then when I encounter somebody that needs to know Christ, I think I'm going to be in the right frame of mind and the right persona to be a good witness to that person. And so to me, that's the challenges of this passage when, when we look at it. God is going to judge all that don't know him. That judgment is going to be in eternity in a place called hell, in a place of torment and darkness and, and, and probably we can't even describe. And, and that's the message we have to take to the world. But we can also at the same time take that message of the world of love and say, but there is another way. And, and, and that's what we have to come away from Revelation with. We can just read this and go, oh, man, they're going to get theirs and go on out the door and say, I know that, Joe. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, there won't be any particulars that stop this process. You're exactly right. God's going to follow through on it. But, and you know, when it gets to here, we can't change this. This is, this is God in the final moments. But we sure got a lot of opportunity between now and then to, to reach out to people and, and, and to show this Christ to people. And, and to try, and, you know, and, and, and I don't know, I know people that just kind of casually, you know, the, that, that believe there's a God and don't have any problem with it, but they go, ah, oh, you know, well, I guess my daddy and my granddaddy's in hell, I guess I'll just, and I've heard that from guys I work with. I, yeah, I guess that's where I'll end up. But they don't understand what they're saying. And the only way they're ever going to understand what they're saying is if we're more real about who we are. But uh, I think the passage speaks loudly, it speaks loudly to us. Uh, a great message in it, God keeps his promises. I mean, he sees his plan through, and if we can look at what he's promised us, and we don't have to worry about whether or not that's going to come to pass. I mean, not just this, but, but anything. If he says, I'll be with you, I'll take care of your needs. If I call you to do this, you can do it. We can bank on those. You study Revelation. He doesn't miss a lick here, I mean. And it ought to be encouraging us. Any thoughts or anything before we go? That's true. And, and the scary thing to me is a lot of times today it seems that, that church in general for a lot of is is just getting too general in nature. It's more about it's more about getting people comfortable with who they are and what they want to experience as to say, You gotta know Jesus. And 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 to, and to me if we ever get this through our heads that that how wonderful this is, how wonderful a gift it is, and I think we all know but just pray for God to just remind us daily. It would make a difference in the way we do things here and home and everywhere else. But I just take the passage as a challenge to me to do more every day because I can't tell you how many lost people I know that I know are lost. Not just walking by on the street and saying maybe they are. I know that are lost. And uh, I need to be doing more about it myself. And uh, I've seen a church one time where people were getting saved on a regular basis, and that cures a whole lot of ills and a whole lot of problems in the church, let me tell you. You start getting people walking the aisle every Sunday, you forget about a whole lot of junk you thought was important because the Holy Spirit kind of gets, gets in charge. And that's what I've been praying about here for a long time. Let's, I would love one time just to let this church be what God wants it to be. For all, let's just turn loose and say, God, do whatever you want to with it.
and uh, and for us just to cooperate. I think it'd be, it'd be more fun than we can imagine, I think. But anyway.